Do you want to be trusted by everyone? Do you think you can be trusted by everyone? If so, I've got some bad news for you. You won't. Trust is relative. The same behaviors that would cause one person to trust you could cause another person to distrust you. In one of my surveys, I found that one of the biggest correlations to the level of trust that others have in you is with the level to which you share values with them. In this episode, I will elaborate on this topic and specifically the relationships between laws, ethics, values, and trust. And let me start by asking you this. What do you call the behaviors that are above the legal bar but below the ethical bar? I'll get right into it right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? I want you to think for a minute, vertically, on all the actions, or, or even the thoughts, or the things that you're saying, and rank them, as I said, vertically, where at the top are the best actions, at the bottom are the worst actions. Best actions could be giving to charity, uh, donating a kidney. You know, th those are really up there at the top. At the bottom would be things like stealing and killing and, you know, things that are obviously very, very, very bad. So we got good at the top. We got bad at the bottom. Now I want you to envision about a third way from the bottom. There is a line and we call this line the legal bar. What do you call the things that are below the legal bar? So worse than the legal bar because we have the bad things in the bottom. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to answer this. Those things are illegal. It's They could be criminal. They could be unconstitutional. They, they, they could be whatever they are, but they're illegal. Okay, that's simple. Now I want you to go another third of the way towards the top and put another line there. And we're going to call that line the ethical bar. What do we call things that are above the ethical bar? So towards good. Well, you know, again, that's not rocket science. It's those are good things. Those are ethical things. Those are the things that you should do. Maybe those are the things that everybody should do. That's pretty simple. Let's define the legal bar and the ethical bar a little further. So I'll start with the legal bar. The legal bar is very clear. It's written. That, that's why it's clear. It's, this is the law, and the law is written in very specific words. It, it is very transparent. You don't have to guess. You don't have to assume. Um, it, it's, it's clear. You know, that, that's one difference. If I look at the ethical bar, on the other hand, the ethical bar is not that clear. It's not written. It, it's pretty opaque. It, it's not transparent. Uh, you don't necessarily know where it is. 
Even if you think that you know where it is, other people may think that it's in a different place. And then I'll get to that. Let's talk about the consequences. What are the consequences of going below the ethical, below the legal bar? The consequences are extrinsic consequences. It's not what happens to you as a natural outcome of what you just did. You know, if I lied to you, for example, it's not illegal. Well, it depends on what I lied to you about. Uh, when Elizabeth Holmes lied to uh, shareholders in Theranos or investors in Theranos, uh, she was breaking the law. That, that That's the type of lie that is uh, protected by the law. Or the truth is protected really by the law. But, but let's say that I just, you know, you asked me uh, something that, I lied back to you. My answer is a lie, and uh, you know there, I'm not breaking the law. But there is an, an, a natural outcome to it, and the natural outcome is you're not going to trust me anymore. Okay, so going below the ethical bar is intrinsic. The consequences are intrinsic. Um, somebody else uh, doesn't trust you anymore. Um, you know, then then it's intrinsic. It's because of what you did, uh, and it's a natural outcome. It's it's the natural of one thing leads to another, cause and effect. Whereas uh, breaking the law is not necessarily intrinsic. It's really extrinsic. The the outcome is jail. I mean, the fact that you did something is not a natural. Uh, reason for you to find yourself in jail, it's extrinsic. The law decides that that's what you're, what's going to happen to you. You're going to go to jail. You're going to get a fine. Um, and, and you can't have these kinds of consequences if the law was not clear. Now, there, there is one more thing that I want to talk about, and that's the code of ethics. And, and it sounds like the code of ethics is, is really the ethical bar, but it's not. I want to be very clear. When you are a member of an organization that has a code of ethics, that's not an ethical bar. It really is a legal bar for several reasons. One of them, I mean, the, the exact two uh, parameters that I gave you. The first one is it's very clear. The code of ethics is very clear. If, if you go to the... Um, Let's take the National Speakers Association. Okay, uh, there is a code of ethics. It's on a code of ethics. It's on the website. You can go there. Article one is called representation. Very clearly, it's typed there. The NSA member, NSA as the National Speakers Association, not the National Security Agency. The NSA member has an obligation to oneself and to NSA to represent oneself truthfully, professionally, and in a non-misleading manner. The NSA member shall be honest and accurate in presenting qualifications and experience in the member's communication with others. It's very clear. It's written there. Now, we may say that it's a little flexible. Maybe it's a little vague in certain areas. First of all, so is the law. Okay, there are places where the law is not very clear and the law itself is is vague, potentially. So uh, that's one thing. But the second is what happens if you violate this? Well, you may not think that you violated this, but somebody, maybe another member of the organization uh, will report you as a violation. Maybe there's going to be a committee uh, that's going to investigate and decide. But the 
consequences are going to be extrinsic. For example, you're going to be expelled from that organization. You know, there are different levels of legislation. I mean, it's it's very clear that constitution is law. Federal laws, state laws, they're the law. Local regulations, like city or, or school district or, or county, those are the law. I mean, they meet the same two criteria. They are clear and the consequences are intr- extrinsic, not intrinsic. But then at the fourth level, I would put something like a code of ethics, which again, even though it uses the word ethics, I'm not going to call it the ethical bar. It's still the legal bar. It might be a legal bar that's a little higher than the, let's say, state or or even local legal bar, local regulations, state laws, federal laws or constitution. Um, But it's still extrinsic. The, The consequences are extrinsic. It is written, it is clear, whatever happens to you if you violate this is not intrinsic. Let me go back to the question I asked you in the introduction. So everything below the legal bar is illegal or criminal or whatever. Everything above the ethical bar is ethical or good or or whatever we call that. What do we call the things in between? You know, first of all, assuming that the ethical bar is higher than the legal bar, which is not an assumption that I want to make uh, generally, and we'll get to that later. But um, let's say that the ethical bar is above the legal bar. What do we call the things that are below the ethical bar, but above the legal bar? Gray area? Loopholes? Those are the things you know you shouldn't do, or the things you know you shouldn't say, but you do them or say them anyway. The ethical bar is not necessarily at the same place for all of us. You know, there are certain actions that are above my ethical bar, which means I consider them good, but could be below your ethical bar. You consider them bad. So you may consider something unethical while I consider it ethical. And this takes me back to trust law number three, and that is trust is personal, which is part of trust is relative. How come? How come you and I may have different, maybe slightly different, maybe significantly different ethical bars? Well, first of all, they can be different. And they are different because we are different people. And we're different in several respects. One is genetics. You know, I I don't want to get into the argument of uh, whether a serial rapist passes that, I don't know if I would call it quality, to their descendants. But there are certain things that, that you can see. You can see kids follow their parents in certain things, in certain behaviors. And, and maybe it's genetics. Uh, again, I, I'm not going to argue this here uh, if this is genetics or this is just how we grew up. This is the sum of our experiences. You went through different experiences in life than I did. I think the closest you would get is identical twins. Genetics are very similar. 
They grew up in the same environment. But you know what? Even the moment that the school decides to put them in different classrooms because we don't want to get them confused, from that moment, these two identical twins go through different experiences. They may have the same experience at home. Uh, let's drop the twins, okay? You and I. You and I have different experiences because of the homes we grew up in. We have different experiences because of the schools we went to, because of the environment that that we grew up in, that, that we work in, that we volunteer in, whatever we do, the city where we live, maybe the political party we belong to. We are going through different experiences. And here's the thing. What's acceptable in one place may not be acceptable in another place. And if you grew up or work or exist or live in one place and I am in another place, you know, we're, we're, we're a social entity. We're, we're a social um, being. And, and because of that, we do accept the rules of wherever we are, whether they're written or not. And so because of that, our ethical bars are different. One more thing that I should add is that even the ethical bar is contextual. There is no one ethical bar. There are multiple ethical bars in, in different topics, in different issues. Remember, trust law number two, trust is contextual. Uh, you and I. There are different areas where we can talk about or, or we think about what's what's ethical and what's not ethical. Uh, take, you know, what we think about, uh, and I, I'm trying not to get too controversial or or getting into topics that, uh, that, that would be too emotional. But think about, you know, Republicans versus Democrats, okay? If you're in one party and I'm on the other party... Uh, there are certain issues, certain topics that where our ethical bars are going to be at different levels. It's not even at different levels as it is different interpretations. So what you would consider as good, I might consider as bad. And what I might consider as good, you might consider as bad. So when we talk about the ethical bar, we need to be very narrow to a very specific topic, a very specific context. So let's say that we have this topic, uh, that we have this context, and your ethical bar is higher than mine on that specific issue in that specific context. What happens then? So first of all, all the things that are above your ethical bar, again, your ethical bar is higher than mine on that specific topic, they're good. All those things are good and ethical for both of us. Why? Because your ethical bar is already higher than mine. All the things that are below my ethical bar, which again is lower than yours in this uh, hypo uh, hypothesis, they're bad for both of us. They're unethical for both. Both of us are considering those things unethical. But what about the things that are below your ethical bar that are above my ethical bar, which again is lower than yours. Yours is higher. So there is a little area there where... Those behaviors, I would consider them ethical because they're above my ethical bar, but you will not. You will consider them unethical. 
you know, I already mentioned that uh, the highest correlation that I found was uh, to trust and trustworthiness to why one person would trust another person is whether they share values. And with the exception of that little band between your ethical bar and my ethical bar, we share values. But what happens in that band is where we don't share values. Because obviously my values tell me that 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 certain behavior is good while your uh, values tell you that they're bad. Now, it might be, might not be very bad for you. It not might not be very good for me. So we may be talking about something that's that's relatively, um, you know, not not our our approach to it is not very different. But what would happen to trust? So if there is such a high correlation between having shared values, this is an area where we don't share values. But will I trust you, even though we don't share these values? Well, the answer is actually yes. Because you always act above my ethical bar. I mean, as it turns out, you act above my ethical bar with some margin. Because you always act above your ethical bar, which is higher than mine. But you act above mine. So I trust you. How about you, me? Do you trust me? Not when I act below your ethical bar. I don't always act below your ethical bar. So there are certain behaviors that when I do them, you consider them uh, you consider them unethical, and because of that, you don't trust me. I think I just made the case to one more thing, and that is that trust is asymmetrical. That's trust law number four. Trust is asymmetrical. Um, you know, we, we keep saying, actually, the other day, my daughter said to me, uh, she talked about someone, a friend, and she said, uh, if she's not going to trust me, I'm not going to trust her. And and of course, because she's in a house where she she hears me talk about trust all the time, she she kind of, I guess I ingrained in her brain whether she like it likes it or not, uh, all the trust laws. And she says, uh, uh, trust is uh, what did she say? Yeah, trust is reciprocal. She quoted the trust law number six to me. Trust is reciprocal. So if she doesn't trust me, uh, I will not trust her. And I had to explain to her that that's not the meaning of trust law number six. And in fact, trust law number four says that trust is asymmetrical. I may not trust you the same amount of, uh, I may not extend to you the same amount of trust that you extend to me. I I may trust you more or less, but not the same amount, not exactly the same amount. And this is, by the way, why I look at every relationship separately in both directions. It's not one relationship. It's two relationships between two people in, in either direction. So uh, we've established there is something that I do that is above my ethical bar, so I consider it ethical. It's below your ethical bar, so you consider it unethical. And because of that, we get into the unshared values or values that are different between us. And since that has a big impact on trust, how big of an impact will it have? And the answer is, first, how different is it? I mean, are we talking about a major difference here or are we talking about a small difference? But the other thing is, uh, whenever I talk about the component of personality compatibility, which obviously is one of the strongest components in, in trust, I talk about importance. I talk about priority as well. So, you know, there might be a behavior that um, 
that, that, that I do that, let, let's turn it around. This time, my ethical bar is higher than yours. And, you know, I'm going to touch on something very, very specific. Remember how I quoted the uh, first uh, part of uh, the the uh, NSA, the National Speakers Association Code of Ethics? Article 1, representation. The NSA member has the obligation to oneself and to NSA to represent themselves truthfully, professionally, and in a non-misleading manner. And one of my pet peeves, if you haven't heard me say it before, then you're going to hear me say it now, is this whole Amazon best-selling author. Getting that designation of an Amazon best-selling author, there are people who actually sell you this, this system of what you have to do is uh, get your book, lower the price on your book, uh, you know, you sell it for $14.99, lower it to $0.99, cents, probably only on Kindle. Get 10 of your closest friends. Oh, before you do that, uh, categorize your book in a category where being number one doesn't mean that you sell a lot of books. So maybe it's the sex life of cats in Honduras. And then get... 10 of your friends, even pay them 99 cents. Heck, pay them $10 and get them to buy that book within one hour. And within that hour, your book in that category, selling 10 copies, would make it the number one best-selling in that category. And since, by the way, it's the category of sex lives of cats in, what was the country? I don't remember what country I used. Uh, let's say Venezuela. Then... You're now an international best-selling author, and people just capture that, and they use that to refer to themselves as best-selling authors. You know, this is a soapbox I, I try not to get on, but I do. Uh, that's not a best-selling author. I'm sorry. The fact that you sell, sold 10 books after reducing the price from $14.99 to $0.99, cents, getting 10 of your friends to buy it, even you may have even paid them, miscategorize your book... Um, and, and now you're referring to yourself as a best-selling author? Is this what people think when they see best-selling author? It's not. You know what? That behavior is below my ethical bar. This behavior is significantly below my ethical bar. I don't do that. There was a time when I actually, my tagline on LinkedIn was not a best-selling author. None of my books are best-selling. I sold thousands of books, but they're not best-selling. Not, not how I would categorize best-selling. Not how I would assume the average, the normal person, the normal reader about to buy a book from somebody they don't know would categorize as a best-selling book or me as a best-selling author. But unfortunately, there are too many people whose ethical bars on that topic. I'm not talking about their ethical bars overall on that topic. Remember, the ethical bar is contextual would consider this to be ethical behavior. Otherwise, why would you have so many best-selling authors that once you go and you look at where their book is ranking on Amazon, you're going to find that it ranks lower than the millionth place. So that behavior causes... That, that behavior is important to me. And that behavior causes me to have limited trust in people who refer to themselves as best-selling authors based on uh, that, uh, that distinction or that definition. By the way, I'm not saying that I'm right. 
I'm not saying that they're wrong. You know, I had this argument with someone who did refer to himself as a best-selling author, and, and he said, what do you want from me? This is the system. We game the system. Just like we game the the uh, algorithms in, in LinkedIn and in Twitter and, and Facebook and, and Google, we game those algorithms to get to where we want. But, you know, that is the company that said, to us, that's the definition of a best-selling author. So maybe everything that I do with SEO could be interpreted as unethical to somebody else. So I'm not arguing that I'm right and they're wrong. All I'm saying is that to me, that behavior is below my ethical bar. To another person, it's above their ethical bar. And the level of trust is going, the level of trust that I have in them will be impacted by how important that behavior or behaving that way is to me. If it's not important, it's not going to affect the trust. And by the way, the trust can be compensated by other things. And I can tell you that a few of those people are friends of mine and they're people I trust with other things uh, because of other, other parts of that trust model. Okay, I had to drink some water after that part. I, that, that part gets me excited. Well, not, not in a positive way. But let me ask you another question. Can you behave below your own ethical bar? Can you do something that you consider to be unethical? Interesting question. I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to say yes in, in several different um for several different reasons. One of them is uh, unusual um, unusual circumstances. So maybe you're pressured. Maybe there is a temptation. Maybe you have no other option. You know, we go into this, uh, there, is, there is a dilemma. I think it's called the sheriff's dilemma in game theory that says, uh, you know, the, let's say that there's somebody coming here uh, threatening to kill everyone in the city or only kill the sheriff and you have to make that decision well how do you make such a decision but but you have to make that decision well sometimes you, you don't have an option you're going to sacrifice one for the benefit of the others can you do that is it not below your ethical bar it is below your ethical bar so pressure temptation can force you below your ethical bar and you're going to do something that where you knowingly know that you're behaving be below your own ethical bar. Um, lack of awareness. You know, maybe you're not aware that what you're doing, uh, what the consequences of what you do, you know what you're doing, but you don't understand the consequences. Uh, maybe you lack empathy and so you don't understand how your behavior affects another person. So, you know, you, you do behave below your ethical bar because if you knew the impact, the consequence, the outcome of your actions or, or your words on the other person, you would say, oh, no, this is below my ethical bar. It's just that you don't know. It's lack of awareness. Another reason could be cognitive bias. You know, we uh, unfortunately, there, there is a continuous increase in cognitive bias in, in how we seek evidence that would support what we're about to do so we're we kind of talk ourselves 
into this is actually not unethical by my own ethical bar. But, but it's really because of cognitive bias that allows us to pretend, I'm going to say, uh, that it is above our ethical bar. The, the problem with that is if you continuously behave below your ethical bar, especially when you know that you do that, but even if you don't, there are certain behaviors, what you do is you really erode your own ethical bar. I mean, you keep coming up with justifications to why you can behave this way, and the, the outcome is that it lowers your ethical bar. Your ethical bar is now lower. So the more you behave below your own ethical bar, you know, we can look at the ethical bar as really the average of uh, all of your behaviors. Um, and if you behave below it, uh, you the more you behave below it, the more you lower this average, obviously. Unfortunately, overall, there is a continuous erosion of the general, the, the cumulative, the, the society's ethical bar. So that, that's the average of everyone's behavior. It keeps going down. What I just described on we behave below our own ethical bar knowingly, consciously, um, and we do it once and then it's easier to do it the second time, third time. It keeps on going down. You, you know... Sometimes, don't you ever ask yourself, was this acceptable? Was this considered ethical 10 years ago, 20 years, 50 years ago? 50 years ago, you couldn't have imagined behaving in the way that you do now. I'm not talking about you, other people, okay? 50 years ago, they would not have imagined behaving in the way that, that they do or saying the things that they do. So, sometimes, you know, my, my hair crawls, my skin crawls in, in hearing some of the things that are being said, especially in the political sense. But it's not just that. It's sales and marketing techniques, the use of robocalls. It's fraud. You, you know, sales and marketing techniques, I would say, um, it, well, actually, sales and marketing techniques, uh, the, the way they're used today they're below ethical bar, at least they're below my ethical bar, and this is why I don't trust them. Uh, but they're still above, for the most part, they're above the legal bar. You know, robocalls are being now uh, made illegal, uh, but there are things that are definitely below the... the I, I, I want to go back. The sales and marketing techniques, maybe the way that they're being done is unethical, maybe it's illegal, but it's really... People trying to sell you something. They just are trying to sell you in a way that they should not be trying to sell you. But they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to give you value and get money from you. But then there's fraud. This is when people are not considering giving you value, just considering taking your money. Uh, there is a continuous erosion. And because of that, there is a continuous erosion of trust. Now, what does the government do? What is the government's response to the continuous erosion of the ethical bar? We continuously behave worse and worse. Our behavior goes down in that vertical scale between good at the top and bad at the bottom. First of all, I have to say that it's a slippery slope. Uh, the fact that we continuously behave worse is a slippery slope. What does the government do? Well, they raised the legal bar. Take what happened in the early 
2000s, or, or I should say late 1990s. Uh, Enron, WorldCom, Tyco, Adelphia, Peregrine. I mean, if you would have considered what they do and ask yourself, is this ethical? You would say, no, this, this is not ethical. What they're doing was defrauding investors. They were, I, I'm, I'm not going to go in deeper into that. They're defrauding their customers. But this was not ethical. But you know what? There was no specific law that prevented it. They were using loopholes. That was the gray area. What does the government do? Sarbanes-Oxley, SOX in 2002. So they create requirements of transparency and oversight and governance that didn't exist before. And by the way, one of the outcomes of this is that it's becoming really, really hard to be a public company. Can the government raise the legal bar too high? And, and let me ask more specific questions. Can the legal bar ev ever be above the ethical bar? So, are there behaviors that can be ethical, legitimate, and illegal at the same time? That means that the legal bar is higher, so it's, uh, it's an illegal thing, but the ethical bar is actually lower than the legal bar. Again, I'm, I'm not talking in general, I'm talking very specific, very contextual. Can it be? So I'm, I'm going to pause for a second and have you think about this question. Can the legal bar ever be above the ethical bar? Can something be ethical or legitimate to you and illegal at the same time? If you're driving right now, look at your speedometer. Are you above the legal limit, the speed limit? Do you ever drive knowingly above the speed limit? You know, the speed limit says 40. You go, oh, I'll go 45. Just so that you know, 41 is the, if the, the speed limit sign says 40, 41 is illegal. Not I'm not saying dangerous. This is, you know, I'm, I'm not going into an argument whether it should be 40 or not. But if it says, if the speed limit sign says 40, then driving at 41 is illegal, period. Maybe they don't enforce it. Maybe they only enforce it once you go 5, 10, 20 miles per hour above the speed limit, but it's still illegal. Do you ever do that? Uh, I don't need an email from you telling me that you do. I know. Is it legitimate? Do you think that it's ethical? You, you know, Simon Sinek once said, uh, Simon said, uh, we don't trust people to follow the rules. We trust people to know when to break them. I have a big, big issue with that statement. And, and I, I made my case in season four, episode eight of this, um, of this uh, podcast. But different people would look differently at driving above the speed limit. Now, we may disagree on why the speed limit is 40. We may disagree that it should be 40. Maybe it should be something else. That's fine. But the bottom line is this is what the law says. Now, some laws are stupid. And, you know, just to bring some lightness into the podcast, here are nine laws 
and those now I, I didn't read each one of them specifically. I went to websites and looked for laws that are stupid, and I encourage you to Google stupid laws. And here are some things that I found. Okay, so take it with a grain of salt. But I, I, I looked at several different places and still found the same laws. So I'm I'm if you ask me, I believe them. In Oklahoma and Ohio, you can't make faces at a dog. I mean, seriously, it's illegal. In Florida, <laughs> it's illegal to sing in your swimsuit. In Arizona, you can't have a donkey sleeping in your bathtub after 7 p.m. Apparently, before 7 p.m., it makes much more sense to have a donkey sleeping in your bathtub. Kansas, it's illegal to serve ice cream on cherry pie. In California, it's against the law to eat an orange while taking a bath. There's apparently no issue with apples. In Alabama, it's illegal to drive while blindfolded. In our... <laughs> I mean, seriously, did you really have to make a law that says it's illegal to drive while blindfolded? Because otherwise it would just make sense and people would do it all the time. In Arkansas, it's illegal to sound your horn at any place where cold drinks or sandwiches are served after 9 p.m. No issue if they serve coffee. It's just cold drinks or, or sandwiches, and it's only after 9 p.m. In Georgia, it's illegal to consume fried chicken by any other means than with your hands. And when I did this research, apparently every now and then they do arrest someone. They arrested a 91-year-old and had her finish her chicken holding it with her hands. I think it's mostly symbolic, but bottom line is it's the law. In Louisiana, it's illegal for a woman to drive a car without her husband waving a flag in front of it beforehand. Now, there's so many things I can say right now, <coughs> and I won't because my wife does listen to this podcast. But so, there are laws that are stupid. Now, there are some serious laws that are seriously stupid for, for different reasons, Um and, and I'm not going to go into that, not not in this podcast. Um, but there is a there is a problem that when the government starts raising the legal bar on everything, uh, it's going to go above the ethical bar, and we're going to start breaking the law. And in other countries where you see anarchy, this is why. In many cases, this is why, because the government made laws that people don't consider legitimate and so people behave in what they consider legitimate le legitimate or ethical uh, that is actually below the legal bar hopefully I'm not depressing you with this this episode I'm trying to explain it and and the question is how do we solve it how do we solve this issue and and really the way to solve it is by raising the behavior standards raising the ethical bars and again, you can't do that, you can't legislate that, you can't create laws. And to me, the number one thing is, is empathy. We need to increase the level of empathy. When we increase empathy, we're going to have less divisiveness. Or, or maybe we need to be less divisive so we can increase empathy. I mean, when I look at the political rhetoric these days 
I mean, just, just look at what Republicans say about Democrats, Democrats say about Republicans. I mean, they're pretty much looking at each other as the enemy, as the outgroup, as the people that we don't care about. We're doing this to ourselves. Social media becomes an echo chamber. Chamber, the, the, the algorithms. And, you know, it started when social media started. Uh, there are not too many subscribers. And when there are not too many subscribers, not too many users, when one of your friends, so-called friends in air quotes, posted someone, you would get it. You would get 100% of the post of 100% of your members. The thing is, we have so many members now or, or users now that you can't. I mean, it's not feasible for you to get all the messages from all the people that you follow. So what do we do? That, that's where the algorithms come in. This is why we play the algorithms, because they're starting to select which ones you want to hear from. And this is where social media starts to become your echo chamber. Chamber. Uh, the social media platforms say they, they realize based on your behavior and your interactions that there are certain people that you would listen to more than others, people that you will interact with more than others. Guess what? Those are the people that are closer to how you think. So part of our divisiveness is really the, the social media echo chamber and that's driven by so many users. You can't hear all of them. But I really think that it starts in the education system. I think that the education system is not fulfilling one of its most important roles, and that is to make children empathetic. To make children, to give children the ability to see things from the other person's perspective as if they were them. The ability to see a story from both sides. The ability to recognize, to acknowledge that every story does have two sides. I think that's where it starts. If we can somehow change the education system to increase the level of empathy, we would do that. We would achieve that. If we somehow stood strong and sent a strong message to our legislators, to our elected officials, that we don't want divisiveness, then we will change it. If the way we interact in social media would allow us to listen and interact with people who disagree with us, not only with people who agree with us, we will make a, a difference. But I want to wrap this up by, again, bringing it back to trust. Our ethical bars will still be different because our values remain different. You know, uh, one example would be the right to life versus the right to choose. I know I'm touching a, a sensitive topic. I'm, I'm sorry. Both of those are valid. Both positions on this are valid, but they're still different. We still view things differently. I'll take you back to the example that I gave you. Um, best-selling author. Should you designate yourself as a best-selling author after lowering the price of your book to 99 cents, getting 10 of your closest friends to buy it uh, after you categorize the book in the category of sex lives of cats in Argentina? No, Ar Argentina is a big country. 
that doesn't make you an international best-selling author according to my ethical standards, but it's different maybe for you. Um, to me, not driving above the speed limit is is a thing. Not not breaking the law is a thing. It's uh, to me that there can't be something <coughs> where you break the law and it's still ethical. And you know what? Maybe I'm missing something that I'm doing where I break the law and and it is and I consider it legitimate or ethical. The differences in our ethical bars, again, we're different people. We're different in our genetics, in where we grew up, in where we went to school, in where we work, in where we live. We're different. We have different experiences. Because of that, our ethical bars are different and they still lead to a lack of trust. In a relative, personal way, because our ethical bars are personal, the legal bars are not personal. <laughs> they're, they're created by somebody else. Where I live, this is there's a set of legal bars that, that really apply. But the ethical bars are personal. They're contextual. You know, on different areas, um, maybe my legal, my ethical bar is higher than yours. In other areas, maybe uh, it's lower than yours. Maybe what we consider a better behavior, you, my, what I consider a better behavior, you consider a worse behavior. So it's it's not even the same place on that that uh, vertical line. And finally, it's asymmetrical. If your ethical bar is higher than mine, my behavior in between those two ethical bars would cause you not to trust me. Whereas you're doing the same thing would allow me to still trust you. And that's all I have to say about that. May trust be with you. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.